This is the In Focus podcast from the Hindu. Hello and welcome to the In Focus podcast. I am your host G Sampath. One of the primary justifications given by Russia for its invasion of Ukraine was a relentless eastward expansion of NATO. But now two more countries in Russia's neighborhood, Sweden and Finland, have announced their decision to join NATO. Finland shares a 1340 km long border with Russia. This means that even as Russia is trying to build a buffer between itself and a pro-NATO Ukraine in the Donbas region, Russia's land border with NATO is actually set to double in length. So does this development prove that Putin's decision to invade Ukraine was indeed a massive miscalculation? How does Finland and Sweden joining NATO change the strategic dynamics of the region? And what are Russia's options in terms of a response? We explore all these questions in this episode of In Focus and our guest today is Stanley Johnny the Hindu's international affairs editor. Stanley, thank you so much for joining us. Thanks Ambar. Thanks for having me. Uh, Stanley, so Finland and Sweden have both stayed away from military alliances for the longest time. Sweden has been neutral so to speak for more than 200 years. Finland has been neutral uh, since the end of World War 2. So they were neutral even during the peak of the Cold War. So what explains their sudden change of mind? Yeah, uh, I think as you pointed out in the introduction, uh, the Russian invasion of Ukraine uh, was the trigger because uh, you see the responses from both the Finnish president as well as the Swedish prime minister, and the Finnish president has a very warm personal ties with President Putin. Even an interview which he gave in the very early days of the Russian invasion, he was saying that Putin had made it clear that when the Russian soldiers look at the Finnish soldiers right across the border, they see friends. And once Finland joins NATO, or if at all, if Finland joins NATO, uh, they would see enemies. And the Swedish Prime Minister Magdalena Andersson had said, uh, you know, even in March, early March, she ruled out uh, joining NATO. and her social democratic party has historically been opposed to or at least reluctant on uh, taking the country into nato so now both leaders say that uh, ninisto the finnish president said uh, when he was asked about putin's response he said putin has to look in the mirror or the uh, swedish prime minister says that uh, it's before february 24th and after february 24 which means the day the russians went into ukraine has changed the strategic calculations of these two countries so i think uh, there are two elements here which we have to take into consideration uh, one is that both countries you know they remained militarily non-aligned militarily neutral but at the same time they had tied themselves with the west for quite some time both countries uh, are members of the eu and they share very uh, close relationship with nato I mean it is the closest any country can get uh you know with a military alliance uh, uh like NATO without a formal alliance so would it be fair to say that they are both like semi NATO members already yeah they were very they had very close ties let's say that very close ties with NATO for example they used to do military alliances together uh and they they, they used to share intelligence and both finland and uh, sweden had supported nato's invasion of uh, afghanistan uh, they were part of they had supported the military mission in afghanistan 
So in a in a way, they they were yeah of course they were short of a former uh, membership, but at the same time they were chugging along with NATO for quite some time, and then they 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 are also part of uh, the EU. But at the same time, NATO membership would change, could change theoretically speaking, could change the strategic calculation in the region. Uh, in a sense, uh, you know, they they would be bound. NATO would be bound by the treaty, so that if these countries come under attack in the future, NATO would is supposed to come to their protection. And secondly, NATO can, again, theoretically speaking, NATO can move offensive weapons, uh, including nuclear missiles, to their regions, which, we, which especially in the case of Finland, uh, uh, you know, which has 800-mile border with Russia, so it can basically, it can bring more weapons right up to the border of Russia. So it is, it is I think, uh, on the one side, yeah, it is, it is very well known that they, you know, they had very warm ties with NATO and the EU. But at the same time, a formal formal membership could change the strategic calculation of uh, of Europe. So, uh, what triggered, I think, the trigger point was, of course, the Ukraine invasion, because that kind of uh, maybe that came as a shocker for these two countries. Because what you saw at the end of the day is Russia violating the sovereignty of Ukraine, going into Ukraine. Ukraine is a a lesser power compared to you know Russia's superior military capabilities, and then taking territories from Ukraine. That is happening on the one side. On the other side, Russia also got stuck in Ukraine because Russia uh, couldn't take a quick victory, and the invasion is still going on. So let's say that Russia, at least for now, Russia is bogged down in Ukraine, at least until it meets its uh, military and strategic objectives. That means these two countries do not face any immediate military threat from Russia, even if they are going to join NATO. So I think these two factors, on the one side, the threat or the war that happened in the neighborhood, and on the other side, they think that even if they go ahead and joining NATO or apply for NATO, the joining process would take time, if at all it is happening. Uh, so they don't face an immediate military retaliation from the Russians. These two factors, I think, might have influenced them. Right. So, you, you just mentioned something very interesting. You were saying that one of the reasons they were able to go ahead and join or at least apply to join NATO is the fact that they don't face any immediate threat from Russia. But then again, the logic for joining NATO is threat from Russia. So, what exactly is, I, mean, I find it a bit of a contradiction. Do you, do you really see that there is, do you agree with their assessment that there is a threat perception at all which is authentic uh, coming from Russia or is it uh, is it just a more of a one-upmanship or something symbolic because if there is a real threat perception then there is if there isn't there isn't but here there seems to be like both ways so uh, we have to look at it i think uh, as a uh, you know short-term responses and a long-term strategy so in terms of long-term strategy let's say that there is this contest going on in europe right especially in Eastern and Northern Europe, and this is between Russia and the rest of the West. Uh, I think uh, the West always wanted to contain Russia, even after the end of the Cold War, which is now, I think, clear. I mean, we were debating uh, the possibility of this or the validity of this argument a couple of months ago, but it's now clear, everybody has made it clear, that uh, the West wants to contain Russia on the one side. The West wants to contain Russia or to weaken Russia? Because containment only happens when there is something which is like, expanding outward. So, what is it? Is it containment or is it something else? Uh, yeah, it's basically, uh, let's say, they have said that they want to weaken Russia, but they also, you know, Russia, at least in the last 20 years, has rebuilt itself. 
its influence, its economic influence. Uh, its integration with uh, uh, economic integration with Europe has been rebuilt, and it had also expanded its influence not only in Eastern Europe but also to West Asia. So uh, at least you look at the last 20 years from 2000 to 2020, uh, it is not the same Russia of the 1990s. So I think you can use both words. So they have said publicly that they wanted to weaken Russia. But basically, I think weakening Russia also means that they don't want Russia uh, to remain. Basically, weaken Russia as a great power. So I think it's a mix of containment and weakening. That is the strategy here, which uh, they have made it clear. So on the one side, that, that is happening. So uh, this, this contest between West and Russia, it's been there for quite some time, right? So you look at uh, Sweden, which has stayed out of any military alliances uh, for 200 years. But in the early 19th century, two wars, the last two wars, the Swedes fought. One was with Norway and the other was with Russia uh, in their Gotland Island in the Baltic Sea. And you look at Finland. Finland, the Russians, the Soviets went into Finland in 1939 and the Finns joined hands with the Nazis and invaded the Soviets in 1941. So there is this history of uh, contest between, uh, you know, uh, between these these powers in uh, in Europe. Uh, so uh, I think uh, so uh, yeah. So I think this this contest is we have to understand that on the one side Russia was trying to reestablish itself. Russia was trying to protect its periphery, which it's lost with the disintegration of the Soviet Union. Russia wanted to stop. Uh, of course, it wanted to stop the further expansion of NATO. So on the one side, when the West was trying to weaken Russia, on the other side, the, the Russians were coming up with counter strategies. So this was going on. So Finland and Sweden had had stayed had you know uh, kind of uh, uh, stayed out of stood out of uh, this uh, this conflict militarily at least in terms of formal uh, alliance formal alliances. But I think the the whole the whole strategy of uh, dealing with Russia that has been driving these countries as well. So what I said was that when you look at it from a long-term point of view, the long-term point of view, you have to understand this contest going on between Russia and the rest of the Western and European countries. And on the other side, why? What stopped Finland, let's say, uh, you know, after the Second World War? What stopped Finland, which fought two wars with the Soviets? What stopped Finland from joining NATO? That was the immediate, the perception of, the, or, or the, the threat of an immediate retaliation from the Soviets. Because the Finns, at the end of the day, during the Winter War, the Finns resisted well against the Soviets. But eventually they had to sign the Moscow Peace Treaty. They had to cede, cede territories uh, to Stalin. Uh, and then the Finns joined hands with the German Nazis and fought the Soviets again, but only to be destroyed during the Second World War. Right? So what stopped them from joining NATO was an immediate retaliation, the threat of an immediate retaliation from, from the Soviets. So I think uh, these two things are important. So from a strategic point of view, they of course wanted to join this race of containing or weakening the Russians. But on the other side, they were deterred by the immediate uh, retaliation, the prospects of an immediate retaliation from the Soviets. So now, when you come to 2022, so on the one side, the whole project of weakening Russia has become stronger now, which has opened up avenues for these, these countries, Finland and Sweden. And on the other side, the prospect of uh, immediate retaliation from Russia 
is also uh, uh, low. Or, you know, it is uh, because the Russians are kind of they are bogged down in Ukraine. So that's why I said it is there is no contradiction because there is it is this is how these countries look at their strategy and the tactical responses. So is a is a weaker Russia in the larger uh, self interest of say Finland over the longer term because see even if you look at these two countries specifically and and keep NATO aside for the moment, uh, Finland let's say one can understand it's got a long border with Russia, history of uh, wars past, experience of past invasions. Why did uh, Sweden uh, join in as well? Because Sweden doesn't have the same kind of uh, history. I mean, if, if you're going to talk about Tsar, uh, the, the Russian Tsar who invaded and fought Sweden 200 years ago, then the 200 years they've also fought wars with Germany, France, Austro-Hungarian Empire and so on, right? You can read that history any which way. So what is the logic for Sweden, A, and, and B, is it in the, in the larger self-interest for Sweden and Sweden to have a weaker uh, Russia as such? I think again there are two points. One is, of course, Sweden and Finland have uh, very deep strategic cooperation, especially after the end of the Second World War. So uh, when Finland was, you know, uh, taken over by this urge to go to NATO, because even if you look at the public opinion according to some polls, uh, if the support for joining NATO was less than 30% uh, in January, uh, it now stands at 70% or something, and political parties across the spectrum support this. So Finland is clearly moving ahead. So Sweden, I think, uh, given the strategic partnership these two countries have, uh, and also um, uh, given the fact that they saw an invasion in uh, in their neighborhood, uh, so Sweden uh, doesn't want to be, uh, you know, left left out of this. So they are actually going uh, in lockstep with Finland. That is one factor. Secondly. Yes, uh, you know, if you go back uh, 200 years, then the Swedes had fought wars with other countries as well. But, you know, uh, also you look at the strategic uh, or the security architecture of Europe, right? Sweden uh, doesn't, Sweden and Germany or the other countries in, on the western side of Europe with which it had issues in the past, it had, Sweden had fought with Norway as well. That was the last war they fought. Uh, but with those countries, Sweden uh, is not in any kind of strategic competition now. They are on the same side, right? Sweden may not have, they hadn't joined NATO, but they had tied themselves with the West. So they are in an alliance with the Western bloc. It may not be a military alliance, but there is an understanding that they are part of the Western bloc. But on the other side, with Russia, with which it had fought, yeah, 200 years ago, but with Russia, the relationship has never been mentored. That's what I'm saying. There are structural factors. They continue to look at Russia as a, as a threat or a, 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 as a country that would continue to pose strategic challenges to the rest. I think this contest between Russia and the rest of the uh, West is what is the second factor. So these two are driving. One, on the one side, Sweden doesn't want to be uh, left out of this uh, once Finland has started moving in. And in Sweden also, I think according to some polls, the public opinion is uh, growing uh, in favor of uh, uh, joining NATO. Uh, so I think all these factors came together and, uh, and prompted them to seek the membership. Right. I mean, I, I remember seeing some interesting uh, uh, you know, graphs in one of these papers uh, in the West where they, they, are, they showed, like, uh, if, you, if you look at in terms of the land mass or territory, 
uh, between Russia and and the NATO countries, the the joining of Finland and uh, Sweden with the NATO bloc would sort of marginally uh, expand the entire NATO bloc. So they did a similar kinds of graphs just to see, you know, if you go beyond the military aspect, if you look at it, the entire uh, NATO countries as one block, say in terms of the economy. So you compare their output in terms of GDP, etc. If you look at it in terms of population, of course, uh, Russian population is not that high. But if you look at it in terms of uh, the landmass and mineral resources, they still seem to be like more or less uh, on this uh, within touching distance. And also in terms of if you include their uh, army uh, manpower strength, including reservists and so on, they're still within touching distance. So maybe uh, is it the case that the joining of uh, Finland and uh, Sweden and Finland especially is, does seem to have a reputation of a great fighting force uh, in their uh, army. So does do you think that incremental advantage also is a factor or is it's it's a secondary thing? No, uh, yeah, it, it can be a factor, of course, because uh, it works both ways. On the one side, I think, you look at the map, definitely, NATO is practically surrounding Russia. Uh, if they join, okay, I, I am still saying if, because there are reasons to believe that this uh, may not go through very quickly, like in the case of other countries. And even, uh, even if they accept the uh, application, it will take months. You know, by that time, you never know what's going to happen in Ukraine and how the Russians would respond. So, there, there are a lot of risk elements here. But still, uh, let's say that this is happening. So, Russia is coming, uh, NATO is practically surrounding Russia. So, Finland, uh, you have already pointed out that 800-mile border, some 1,300 kilometers border with Russia. And where in the case of Sweden, Sweden, uh, the Gotland Island is some 200 kilometers away from Kaliningrad. Uh, so, uh, so practically it is coming closer and closer uh, to the uh, Russian territories. And on the other side, yeah, fin Finland has uh, a very efficient fighting force, at least they have built, unlike Sweden, uh, they have uh, built a very efficient fighting force. They had also come up with socially integrated defense strategy or whatever, uh, you know, aimed at defending the entire community. Uh, so, on the one side, this is, uh, uh, Russia is, uh, on the one side, NATO is expanding its influence in Europe, formally expanding its influence in Europe. And on the other side, uh, uh, it will also be obligated to protect these countries in the event of future crisis. Because what we have seen uh, in recent years, at least since 2008, is that uh, this NATO-Russia issue is not settled. It is going to create more crises and conflicts in Europe. And with Finland and Sweden, or with the Russian aggression in Ukraine, and Finland and Sweden seeking NATO membership, this is going to be aggravated. So, uh, we are not talking about peace and stability in Europe. We are talking about more conflicts and confrontations in Europe. So, you think the US will want to use the NATO membership of Finland and Sweden to actually station critical weapons on their territory, which from what we've heard from Russia, would be a red line, so to speak, because Putin has said that, okay, if you want to join, join, we can't do anything about it. But, of course, our responses will be different if, if there are actually nuclear weapons or missiles which are going to be stationed there. Do you think NATO will actually go and do something like that and Finland would agree to that? Yeah, we, we, have, to, we, we have to wait and see. So, I don't expect Finland to agree to that as of now because that would be an unnecessary provocation. 
uh, even uh, Putin's comment that itself is a climb down for the Russians because the Russians had always warned against NATO's expansion. Uh, now that the Russians cannot do anything about it, directly at least. So that they say that, okay, joining uh, is not a problem. I, I mean, in a sense, we can't do anything about it, but this is a red line. You can't move uh, nuclear weapons or other uh, advanced weapons to Finland, particularly to Finland. So that, that uh, Putin's comment itself is a climb down for the Russians. But I, I don't think that, or I don't, you know, I don't imagine that the Finns would allow that to happen at least at this point of time. Because even if you look at the timeline, the last NATO expansion was, I think, about Montenegro, and it took 18 months once they applied. So now, they, if they are applying, um, uh, they said that they would be applying on 18, which is uh, today. And if they are applying, uh, it would take, you never know, at least it would, it would take, even if they are fast tracking the whole process, it would take one year. So this one year means Sweden and Finland, they do not have NATO's prote formal protection, but they were joining NATO. So th there is a one year period for the Russians if they wanted to do something. I'm not talking about a direct in intervention or military intervention, but you don't, you, know, you don't know what the Russians have if there is something up their sleeves. So there is a time period here. And also, uh, for taking these countries in, you, the decision has to be unanimous. So, uh, Turkey has already opposed it, not once, but thrice. The Turkey, Turkish Prime Minister said twice, and the Foreign Minister said once. Erdogan said, no, you don't even have to come to Ankara. Excuse us. We are not discussing this. We are not going to let this happen. So, we don't know whether this is a negotiation strategy for the Turks, or uh, Erdogan is going to veto this move. And if he is going to veto this move, this is going to be big. Uh, so, um, uh, I think there, there is a bit of uncertainty here. There are challenges here, risk factors here. So, considering all this, even if we are discussing the possibility of NATO or the United States moving offensive weapons to the Finnish border, that would happen later. Only after Finland and NATO are taken into NATO, uh, Finland and Sweden are taken into NATO and as part of negotiations. So this is not going to happen immediately. And even if the membership goes through smoothly, I don't expect at this point that at least the Finns are going to let it happen. Right. So, uh, so you made this in a very important point that there is still a one-year minimum uh, in terms of a window before, window during which Russia can uh, take whatever action uh, it finds necessary in its perspective to do so. Uh, but having said that, does this development uh, signify a major loss of face for Putin, given that he does not yet have an outright victory in Ukraine? And now the exact opposite of what he wanted from Ukraine, which is a stop to NATO's eastward expansion, is actually happening in Russia's land border with a hostile NATO has just become way longer. So, uh, on the one hand, Russia has been hit badly by economic sanctions. They are bogged on militarily Ukraine with heavy casualties and losses. And now there is also a political setback. So you have, uh, it, it would seem that there is failure on the economic, uh, military and political front. So do you agree with this assessment of uh, what has happened with Putin's entire uh, calculations? And if that is, uh, if you agree, what are, you, what are his options right now? Um, so Sweden and Finland joining NATO is definitely a geopolitical setback for the Russians. There is no doubt about it. Because uh, the Russians had said many, many times that they were opposed to NATO's expansion. 
and they tried to stop it. They, they managed to stop it in Georgia. They managed to stop it in Ukraine. But uh, you know uh, what we are getting on the other side is this. So interestingly, I uh, you know before the war, many strategic analysts, including Kaplan, Robert Kaplan, were suggesting that the Finlandization of Ukraine is the solution to this crisis, which means Ukraine has to adopt long-term neutrality. But uh, you know, in return, what we got in less than three months of Russia's invasion of Ukraine is the Ukrainization of Finland. Finland is now joining NATO. So this is how, I mean, this is the thing with the war. You go, you start a war, but then you will have uh, unexpected consequences. So from a geopolitical point of view, it's definitely a setback. Uh, there is no doubt about it. But on military and economy, I though I'm not sure. We have to wait and see because there is a bit of, uh, you know, fog of propaganda about Russia's actual military operations uh, in Ukraine. Of course, it is slow. We've been discussing this even in the last podcast we discussed. Because I think uh, uh, given the uh, imbalance of the power, everybody expected the Russians to meet their military objectives rather quickly. That didn't happen. That's also because on the other side, the NATO is spending billions and billions of uh, dollars uh, on bolstering the Ukrainian defenses. But despite that, you look at the battlefield, the Russians yesterday, they took over Mariupol completely because in Nasovstal, uh, the last remaining defenders, including the Azov Nazis, they surrendered before the Russians. And they have also taken, you know, they had taken Kherson in the very early stages of the war. They have also taken Berdyansk, Melitopol, Volvonaka, Popasnaya, all the major towns in the east are now in the hands of the Russians. So, uh, if you look at the battlefield, I don't think, of course, it, it is it is going to be a long uh, conflict. This is not going to, the Ukrainians won in denying a quick victory to the Russians, but the Russians are still making advances in the battlefield. And also on the economic side, again, the thing is that, of course, sanctions would, wouldn't, sanctions hit the Russians, definitely it would hit the Russians. But it is hitting everybody. You look at Europe. You know, Europe's strategic autonomy is gone completely. Now, Europe has been more and more better into NATO and the American way of looking at this crisis. That's one thing. And then secondly, the economies of, uh, uh, you know, Germany and other countries in Eastern Europe, they all face the heat. There is a cost of living crisis. There is inflation. And on the other side, the Russian ruble is doing very well. And the high commodity prices is actually rewarding a windfall to the Russians. So it is, it is, it is hitting the economic economic crisis is hitting everybody. I, I don't know in the long run how what kind of implications it will have in Europe. We have to wait and see. Many countries, including Sweden, Sweden is going to face going to go into an election in September. Uh, so in France, we have already seen that a far right leader has come close to uh, winning presidency. So this is economically, uh, I think, uh, uh, in terms of economy or in terms of uh, uh, the actual military movements uh, in uh, military advances in Ukraine, I think we have to uh, look at these things a little more closely. But geopolitically, these two countries joining NATO is a clear setback for Putin. There is no doubt about it. Right. Uh, we are running out of time uh, now, so we'll have to wind up. But one last comment I wanted to hear from you in terms of what you said about uh, the economic fallout of all these sanctions and the war within Europe itself. I mean, you, I mean, the gas prices have been going up and there is also this cost of uh, living crisis. So given this, uh, given the fact that the actual people, uh, the ordinary citizens, uh, 
have their own uh, you know interests and stakes which are different from that of the state and from that of the governments of europe have there not been any uh, dissenting voices uh, on the ground in europe against the against the direction in which the conflict is going because everybody is now only talking about a victory for ukraine there doesn't seem to be any effort for negotiating a ceasefire or some kind of a you know pause in hostilities so isn't there any kind of dissenting voices uh, against this kind of mobilization even if there 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 are dissenting voices so they are not very loud we can say that we uh, you know in europe but in france i think uh, marine le pen uh, winning this many votes you know she she uh, it was her best performance it was her party's best performance uh, in france and she had taken a very neutral approach towards russia uh, and so i think uh, if uh, i think the real effect we will see in the elections in europe because in europe you see the especially the far right parties uh, which uh, have mushroomed uh, in europe as you may well know and they all have taken a neutral or somewhat nuanced position to this crisis and they are also uh, uh, raising including the republicans in the united states they are also raising the inflation and the cost of living crisis as a major political plan so i think we will come to know about it in the elections what kind of long term impact this is going to have because uh, uh, european economy is in a very serious crisis and on the other side one advantage the russians have is that you know elections everybody knows that uh, putin i mean on the one side this crisis has kind of solidified his support even the levada center says 80% his approval rating is 80% because he managed to create a kind of perception that russia is being surrounded and he is being targeted by the west russia's the enemies of the motherland within courts uh, you know so that kind of uh, that is having the opposite impact you know biden wanted biden said putin doesn't have the moral right to continue as president but his policies are actually having an opposite opposite impact and secondly the russians do not face a you know deadline in ukraine right okay if they are losing the war let's say they definitely they will be under pressure but their their advances may be slow but they keep making incremental advances which is what we saw yesterday in mariupol so as long as they keep making these advances in ukraine they are not under any kind of immediate pressure to halt their hostilities so which means we are looking at a prolonged crisis that will impact both sides right i think uh, there cannot be any gainers from a continuation of uh, hostilities on the ground uh, the casualties are mounting that's right there is no clear there is no clear winner yeah there cannot be a clear winner at least in the near term and in the meantime you have this uh, new thing uh, set in motion the membership in nato for uh, sweden and finland we'll have to wait and see how that develops Thank you so much Stanley it's been uh, really a pleasure talking to you and discussing the different aspects and dimensions of this ongoing crisis we'll probably have to come back to this uh, maybe a couple of weeks from now thank you so much until we meet again thank you in focus will be back soon with analysis of the biggest news issues in the meantime you can find our podcast on spotify apple podcasts stitcher and other platforms just search for in focus by the hindu we'll see you soon